This is the Candidly Kim Podcast. Welcome to the Candidly Kim Podcast. We've got a special guest tonight. So excited. And we have a lot to talk about. So before I introduce him, let me just start by saying uh, he's the one who got me hooked, got me started on uh, the worst habit that I have. Um, My family's grown very concerned uh, but it, it started with Speaker Greg Hughes <laughs> is here with us tonight and uh, is well known for his uh, chronic consumption, frequent, large consumption of water. Red Bull. No, not water. I've never seen water <laughs> in your hand. It's a child's drink. Why would you drink water? It's a baby's drink. <laughs> exactly. And there are just not 300 mix of caffeine in these 300 mil just to start today (laughs) just to get going just to get going so uh so i I adopted that habit um because you were that um, quality you were um mentoring our drinking (laughs) our drinking habits but quickly went to purple yeah but that was a quick phase i i moved so Fast beyond purple and went right to it. And even monsters are like lightweight. So yeah. now it's, it's straight bang and rain. There it is. Bang and rain. So I'm, I'm rain. Great minds <laughs> think alike. I, no, it's look, we are the arena. I mean, the house, the, the, the Senate, state Senate, it's the house of lords. It's the old and the slow. But in the arena, it's, yeah. it's high octane all the time. So you just got to start your day and, uh, and keep going. Keep going. So <laughs> rain or bang are good. Favorite flavor. Mine is the blue, whatever the blue rain is called. Is that blue rain. that blue is the one my, is my I don't favorite. know yeah. what the blue one is. I like. I go mango. by colors now. I don't like even mango. go by mango. There's a mango one somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. Um, okay, so yeah, that pace. Uh, how is your life paced now? Uh, it has slowed down considerably. I'm, <laughs> I'm gaining weight. I'm like, it's like, um, remember in the Avengers movie uh, when. They got to get the band back together. They got to save the universe. And they go looking for Thor. And they go looking for Thor. And he's in a house. And he's he's playing video games with his friends. He got super fat. It's fat Thor. Well, absent the Thunder God, no God, just Fat Hughes. I just turned into Fat Hughes. But it's not video games. It's like Netflix. It's like streaming shows I never had any time to watch in my life before. And I started, uh, I started eh, what would I say? July. I started watching okay, so. shows. And so it's been... You know, it's a different pace. And I got to tell you this. I was always under this guilt with my family and my wife and my business partner because I was pulled so many different directions in public service. Turns out they don't want my opinion so much, Kim. They're, they think I got too many opinions um, now so, at home, at the job. But you think they cared about your opinion before? Yeah, no, no, well, you know, they made it look like they were all having to, you know, carry the load when I wasn't there. And now that I have more time, more opinion, more I can weigh in. They tell me to keep it to myself. I, and they then, they, they've gotten this far without me. So, so I mean, look at that um, that alignment of stars that you leave the legislature and COVID sticks you home <laughs> with them. <laughs> yeah, they, so they're going like seriously. I know he can't leave. It's true. It's true. It was a it was like a bad James Bond movie. They, there's nothing about social distancing that I like as a human being. I mean, it is just not who I am. I felt like I was under I was under house arrest. Didn't feel like it. I was under house arrest. Um, <laughs> I was trying to run a little campaign in 2020, and uh, and was told I had to stay inside, which was not the game plan, and uh, it was kind of kryptonite to me yeah. in terms of being able to get out. But uh, 
you know, it's uh, it, it's tough times. So I was going to say strange, but beyond strange, very yeah. very tough. And you've had a lot. You're the legislative body. I I thought we did together when I served with you that we did some pretty heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Nothing compared to what you're grappling with right now. This is a lot lot harder. Well, um, so I haven't been super quiet about my uh, disappointment. Is disappointment a good word, uh, Doran? About the legislature not doing its job. I, I mean, and I know you're not yeah. going to want to weigh in on, you know, on, on your friends and former colleagues, but uh, the, that the legislature has not chosen to call itself into a session and, and deal with um, the governor's overreach and the executive branch's overreach. Can I frame overreach. that a little bit? Because we worked hard for that trigger. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is right now you see in Georgia – Everyone is asking Governor Kemp to call the legislature into special session to address election law, to address the, the, the issues that happened in Fulton County, the, the Atlanta mm-hmm. area, uh, the voter fraud that they know existed. But the governor won't and the legislature can't convene. Well, we had that problem where we were a state where only the governor could call us into special session. And because we had a very, very critical issue in a midterm election for, for a, a, a vacant congressional seat, and we were unable to call, go into special session to create a, a statute to deal with that, it taught us that we did not have the separation of powers that were necessary. So we worked very hard. We passed by two-thirds majority a constitutional amendment uh, out of the House and Senate and then onto the ballot for the people to, to decide to vote. And they and- voted and 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 grand majority to allow the legislature in emergency circumstances to call themselves into special session. So in the history of the state of Utah, it has only been since the year 19, 2019 and 2020 that the legislature has even had that power. Right. So it's it's been hard <clears throat> to watch in the cheap seats out here, not being a part of it, that that, that uh, prerogative isn't being exercised a little stronger. Well, so. And, so and I, I love my colleagues. I love my former colleagues, but I do think that we've seen a little but bit of... But sometimes maybe we could we could use your uh, reminding <laughs> us some things. So, um, so yeah, I just want to... I want to back up over that again because I've talked about this a lot. Okay. And, um, and I have told the story a lot about you emphasizing as Speaker of the House the very important principle of separation of powers. Yes. Yep. And 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 you would say, wag in your hand, which you didn't do a lot, but you know, but this yeah. mattered. Um, separation of powers. Jealously guard your separation of powers. And and a, a lot of the times your lesson was when it came to writing our bills. So make sure if if you leave a hole in a bill or in a process in a bill, or you see you you have something that's not very well defined, then the executive branch is going to fill that in they for will. you. And so you are always cautioning us, you know, um, jealously guard your your separation of powers, your authority to be the legislature. Yep. Be a legislator. Don't um, don't abdicate it to the other branch. And um, but then we found ourselves, like you said, we had a, um, a vacancy in a congressional seat that when we had all these elections changes a couple years back, uh, we kind of missed that part. And so so the way I tell the story is we were saying, please, please, please call us into session. No, really. Governor, call us into session. This is our prerogative to yep. make the law here. And the governor's saying, oh, no, yeah, you didn't do it, so I'm going to do it. And... And we said, no, please, really, this is ours. This yeah. is our right. It's our obligation. It is our it's our prerogative. Our system was set up this way. And he said, no, 
I'm going to do it my way. And so next year we came back and said, okay. We then, had a suite of bills. It wasn't just calling it, ourselves into special session. We we made some changes. Uh, we and even in had, the, oh, sorry. And sorry. in the attorney general's office, too. And he vetoed year. them? And what did we do? What did <laughs> we do? Override. You know, we just, override. that's a bucket list moment to override <laughs> so, the vetoes. We just got to do that as well. And that so, is, again, I gotta, exercising that power. I got to be honest. Overrides are fun. They are. <laughs> You know, the, the signature <laughs> slip comes to the dais when you're speaker and in a very different way than regular bills. It is a, you get the old, you get the one that he vetoed and you get to, oh, you literally get to sign over it and say that you Oh, really? It. So yeah. I haven't seen that. Like, yeah, like with was, a big black Sharpie? Yeah, well, it's, the chief clerk gave it to me and I, whatever pen I had, it was pretty thick and I was able to sign that. But it was different than, but that again, you know, we're a part-time legislature. Some states have full-time uh, legislative bodies. Uh, but we are a full-time branch of government, even right. if we're a part-time legislature. And when you have a full-time executive branch and a full-time judiciary, they sometimes forget about the legislature. They think it's a part-time branch mm-hmm. when it's not. And so if you're not, the, the, the power vacuum is that if you're not exercising your power, someone will come in and take that. And, right. and so we worked very hard. And if you remember, that was always bipartisan. We had a big conference where we had all Republican and Democrat House members where we convened and we laid out the case of where the separation of powers. The The issue was, if you don't have statute for a, for a congressional midterm vacancy, you need one. Right. And all the history of the state of Utah, we didn't have one. We actually came the closest to getting one where we actually had a bill filed. Uh, we had two bills that passed in the House and Senate that were different. The conference committee didn't happen in time. So we were probably closer than we'd ever been. Hmm. So that made the argument to go into ask the governor to have us go into special session to get there uh, all the more reasonable. And when he wouldn't, um, that's when it, it became clear that the legislative branch was at a disadvantage that it shouldn't be. And we should be creating those statutes. I mean, so so both of those, I mean, I mean, the example of make sure your bills are thorough so you don't leave gaps for the executive branch that's to right. define it for you. Um, but now here was a bigger thing. Okay, no, they are actually going to create whole law yes. regarding a congressional seat. <laughs> kind of a big deal. Okay, so kind of a big deal. But we were so motivated, and you as speaker was were so motivated to make these changes over a congressional election and over um, you know something that arguably is not even nearly as big as what's going on right now. Not even close. And the the that, stakes are so much higher right now that we have not involved the legislature. So um, if you watched my uh, podcast from last week, uh, we had a closed session, or, yeah. or not session, a closed caucus, caucus meeting, where all the uh, agencies were there. Lots of the, the uh, executive branch agencies were there. And um, something happened, like uh, someone leaked to Gerke. Can you believe it? Somebody... Yeah, I'm so surprised. This is, my, this is my shock face. I'm not so shocked. <laughs> Someone violated the confidentiality of our closed meeting, and and so then, uh, then the newspaper then got to tell their they version violated, of the story. I was going to say they violated in in a narrative of their choice, which might which might not have been exactly accurate, right? Um, okay, That's yeah, how it that was happens. a super nice way of saying that. <laughs> so, um, so I get vilified by the news, which ended up in me being like hoisted on shoulders for being. 
<laughs> being yeah. a hero for saving Thanksgiving. But, yes. um, but I feel like, okay, well, when that happens, do I get to defend myself then? Do I get to come out and tell the, the, the real story? But, you know, they, uh, the paper reported that I challenged, you know, I challenged the authority of the Lieutenant Governor and I really didn't in that no. meeting. But what I did say was it's, we're nine months into this and he came and at one point just said, okay, what is it you want us to do then? What is it you you want to do? What is it you would like us to do? And I just had one thing to say about that. Thank you for finally asking. Yeah. Nine months into this. Now you come and say, what would you like us to do? Um, but, and also making it very clear that if you really want to know, we'll vote on it. Mm-hmm. You want to know what we want you to do? Let us have the hearings. Let us Let us... Uh, be discoverers of facts. Let us deliberate. Let us vote. That's how we do things, and, and we yeah. haven't done that. So we I have not been privy to your discussions. I left the the house at the end of 2018. But let me let me make a guess. If you look at South Dakota and Christy Nome, where they've never had government mandated restrictions, they right. trusted the people as adults to exercise their their liberties, and that did not mean the absence of precautions. People take precautions because we want to be healthy, but the mandates and choosing which businesses and livelihoods were essential versus not or closing churches that that never came into the equation south dakota florida right now a very large state governor desantis has no mandates and has no plan Uh, with all the talk of spikes and thanksgiving or christmas they are not changing course i would guess that our legislature was kind of going in those uh directions wouldn't you've got wouldn't you've gone there um, I'm hoping that's what happens in this coming session. I, I don't know where. I, I mean, I don't know because I know where they're going. I know where we're going when we're doing something. So right. um, we've had efforts to create a resolution that's been shut down. We had an effort of doing like an Idaho-style video that got shut down. Um, seems like 105 people ask leadership if we can do something and then we're all told yeah nobody's really interested <laughs> so I'm like is anybody counting how many calls That's are fine. saying uh you know we just don't have the votes um <laughs> you know there are times and there are times that i really think you just take the vote and well yeah and and i i wouldn't say that on everything yeah sometimes if you don't have the vote you don't have the votes to pass don't take the votes but this thing right here which is the biggest thing that we've been faced with as mm-hmm. a state, as a society, yep. as a, a globe in our generation and multiple generations, and we don't want to we don't want to come together and deliberate. I, I I don't understand that world. So I've been kind of I've been fairly outspoken about that. Um, I sometimes because so you're you're my first speaker so there's something about that like greg hughes was my yeah. speaker i came yep. in as a freshman with greg hughes yep. and didn't know anybody else and then now um speaker you didn't Wilson, know how bad you had it huh i, I some sometimes imagine <laughs> what would what would greg be doing right now no. because greg speaker you are showing up at some some civil rights based rallies. Mm-hmm. I know you um you've shown up in a, a movie. What's the name of this documentary? Uh, it, it's um, called uh, Non-Essential. Non-Essential uh, about Eric Mutsos who mm-hmm. who leads the Utah Business Revival, which was an important voice uh, as this pandemic especially hit early and, on. Oh my gosh. giving cautionary I mean, we just had so many people whose livelihoods were, were, they were losing it and to be told they weren't essential when it was feeding their families and paying Mm -hmm. the bills, that feels pretty essential. Right. And so we were going through times that, 
you know, we've, you know, you, we watch movies, and, and in that documentary, they show even Schindler's List where they had, uh, where Germany was having its debate about what was essential and not right. essential, and they were closing businesses, the liquidation of the ghetto, historical moments that, you know, we get criticized if we if we draw too close of a comparison to Germany, but. Look, I'm going to tell you. Why do we study history, Greg? Exactly. I mean, why do we study history? So that we don't repeat it, so that we learn from those things. And I'm telling you that so much of this has been uh, academic in terms of our freedoms, the sovereignties with the people, not with a king or a president or a governor, but with the people. Well, the action's live right now, isn't it? And and is that actually what's happening? One of the things that I hope happens, because you have a good, I know Mm -hmm. that anyone watching your your podcast, you've got smart citizens that want to be involved one of the things that has to happen in this next legislative session it's one thing to say well we're in an election year you know things are crazy we'll just wait till we get in general session well that's coming up there is a what we have learned is a as a, a citizenry is that and this is happening across the country our departments of health have far far too much power you see when the department of health be it the state or a county gave a emergency, a health a Department of Health directive or order. It was usually done when there was an earthquake or a mm-hmm. or a you know a, a flood. A short term. Yes, it, and it was something thing. you could define. It was mm-hmm. tuberculosis is breaking out. We got to seal it off so it doesn't get out. And you had to do certain things. When when this coronavirus uh, COVID nineteen was defined as you know it was became a public emergency and a health emergency, and when those powers of the health department took effect. It is whatever they say, whatever they tell us to do, has the effect and punishment of law. It's a mis- it's a class B misdemeanor the mm-hmm. first time you violate a class A, which is pretty. It's the one below and, and a felony, a, a five thousand dollars, yes, fine, or no, ten thousand dollar fine, think, six months in jail. Kim, think of what we do when we, as lawmakers, what it takes to pass a bill. It's the the saying is it's very hard to pass legislation, very Should easy be. to kill. And the reason it's easy to kill is you've got to have a House committee. You have to get the majority there. Then you got a House vote on the floor. Then you go to a Senate committee, a Senate vote. Then you have, a, have to have a governor that passes it. All of that process. Multiple decision-making points. Yes, to have to have that collective will decide that this will be a law, and here's your penalty if you violate it, where we will define what that penalty mm-hmm. is. A health department director gets to say it's whatever they write and whatever they sign well, at the okay, bottom so- of that sheet. States so, so have gotten Greg, rid of this. This has got to be done with. This is you cannot give that much absolute power to our health. Okay, department. so that law actually says, in their judgment, yeah. in the health department's judgment, in their best judgment, I mean, completely gives discretion to them in a way and, that our checks and balances have never given any of us to pass legislation yeah. or create laws that would do that. So, so the, one of the things that frustrates me about it, is, again, is that um, we don't have the opportunity to bring in uh, all of the information. So what legislators do, and I had somebody, I put something on Twitter the other day, and someone just absolutely, you know, excoriated me for, I just love when non-health officials, you know, have an opinion on health things. But this is the thing is it, this can't just be about health. It can't no. just be about health. And, and yeah, that is uh, the current situation demands that we respond to a health um, crisis, but not to the exclusion of everything else. And that we have, we have moved so far beyond common sense on some things that some of our responses have been 
not consistent at all. They've really uh, reached the the point of absurdity. I don't know if you've heard me say this, but um, we actually, um, the October um, governor's order and the health department's order did not, this was the one that says, don't have your mother-in-law over for dinner Sunday. Yeah. But then uh, it, we, uh, it became apparent that there was no way to deal with um, non-custodial parents. <laughs> so, okay, my kids don't live in my household, yeah. and I'm not supposed to have anyone who's not in my household over. Did you just take my kids away? So we had attorneys jump into that and, and insist on some changes there. And in and, and one of the scenarios was, um, well, we have family traveling in for the holidays. What do we do with that? Oh, well, if they're spending the night... Yeah. Then that doesn't they, count for they, non-household. So so now my kids are saying, okay, so let me get this right. My my friends can't come over, but if we have sleepovers, and I'm like, seriously, Governor, you just put so, mom in a situation so of having to say and, no and, to sleepovers. And here's the thing: we are debating a false premise because here's here's what we, here's what we know or mm-hmm. we should know: if the sovereignty is with the people, there's nothing that says the sovereignty of our state, our nation is with the people except on issues of health. When it's health, the, the Everything's people, out the your, your yeah. power to discern, your the, the collective will, the, the way we do go about society somehow is suspended for this. Because remember when back in the, what was it, 40s or 50s when the doctors used to be on the commercials to sell camel cigarettes mm-hmm. and things? Oh, we gosh. used to have doctors. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm in that era again where, where we've got these doctors that we're trusting to be doctors and they're selling us cigarettes. But here's here's the issue, okay? And this is this will confound any liberal that gets into your head about or anyone's head about, well, don't you believe in health or science or anything like that? Or why would you not listen to the health professionals? Would we leave the decision to go to war to our joint chief of staff generals? They go to they they study, they go to college, they go to the academies, the military academies. They know more about war than any civilian running around mm. today. However, there is a duly elected president of the United States, elected by the people. Commander-in-Chief. Commander-in-Chief, who makes that decision, and I don't know a single Democrat that would say, will you please leave vested entirely in our military the decision whether we should go to war and, and engage in combat globally? They'd say, no, 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 okay. we don't want to do that. So we don't leave our freedoms and our, our ability to choose okay, but even, or even in your engage. example, the, the, the Commander-in-Chief, along with his um, Joint Chief of Staff, Joint Chief's they don't make that decision alone either. No. It's still the the decision to go to war, declare war, Is the still goes back to Congress. Yep. Okay. So we're all upside down in this, Greg. We I are. Think. It's. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the it's the practical application of what we've been taught and what we've studied for a long, long time, and that's hard. Okay, because it's messy. Everyone said it's the worst form of government except for everything except else. For everything okay. Else. So it's messy, and it has its 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 difficulties and its warts. But there is nothing that you're going to come up with that is going to preserve our rights or allow us to be in charge as the people than the form of government we have. When you suspend that under a state of emergency, when you say that people are no longer able to uh, make decisions to stay healthy, if, if you don't believe that businesses have a vested interest in healthy employees and healthy customers and somehow Absolutely. they wouldn't do that on their own, I must mandate it. And then you change those mandates. Uh, it's wrong. And here's the part that is the big tell. In the states, the Democrat states, where they are most aggressive about taking people's rights away, that's the California with Governor mm-hmm. Newsom or Mayor Garcetti from L.A. 
uh, Illinois with uh, with uh, J.B. Pritzker, Governor Pritzker. Uh, look at these states and look at them get caught not following the things they are mandating for people to do. You have the governor of California <laughs> in, a, in an indoor restaurant, and he is sitting next to the state people. lobbyist of the hospital association. The man who's... No masks. No masks. No masks on him. They even lied <laughs> about it originally, saying, well, we were outside because they didn't know anyone had a picture. So they tried to explain away that birthday party around the table as being outside and being dis- appropriately distanced until the picture came up. We, you got J.B. Pritzker, the governor of Illinois, telling no. Guess what? Thanksgiving's over. Okay, he's traveling to Florida with his family to have Thanksgiving. You, it, they are. If they were truly as afraid as they are trying to convey and communicate to the people that they are leading in terms of, in this case, Illinois or California, if they really believe what they were saying, you would never see a moment like we're seeing where they would vacation with their family and have mm-hmm. Thanksgiving in Florida or go to that birthday party without masks because they themselves wouldn't want to be, they wouldn't want the servers to be at risk. They wouldn't want their dinner guests to be at risk. They wouldn't want their family for Thanksgiving, but they're doing it while they're telling everyone else not to. It kind of tells you it's more about, it's more about power than I think it is. They really believe what they're talking about. Right. And, and that's, that becomes really hard to help my children understand the risk and and some of the responses and 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 where kids are always trying to make sense of their lives and I can't help them. No. I mean I can't help them. But I'll tell you when this whole thing became the chilling moment to me. Like when I knew this is more political than health. Um was when our governor marched children into a press conference and had the children um counsel the parents of the state and say, said, you're the problem. We want to go to school. We want to do these things, but you need to stop telling us how to run our lives. That the governor used children to go in front of cameras and tell the state and the adults of the state, you're the problem. Stop telling us how to do our lives. That was chilling beyond anything I'd, I'd seen um, any of our elected officials in our it's, state. It's so yeah. incredibly manipulative. And here's here's what's happening. These directives aren't going to stand the test of time. We will look back at this time we're in, Boy, and there will be still. people ashamed at what they were willing to do. One that is right now not standing the test of time. Do you remember in the fall when we wanted our kids to go back to school and you had to have them in masks and we had this big debate and people were upset and we had this rule then if you had 12 or 15 kids that were tested positive then they would shut the whole school down well we know some of the the terrible things that are happening to these poor kids when they're not in front of the 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 their their, their counselors things, or their teachers things that may be developmentally irreversible or the, life yeah, the year impacts. over year progress and the proficiency is being wiped out of an entire generation of children right now and even the abuse happening in homes that sadly statistically happen every year where there's not a counselor or a principal or a teacher to confide in that's going on. But here's what's so sad. We are in December. Do you know what Anthony Fauci, Dr. Fauci is saying right now? Get these Get kids, the kids back to school. school. He Get said it at the school. beginning. He, it, this, this, and what then, we have done to these kids. And then kids, we do this. Yeah. We move the goalposts. <laughs> he says, shut down the bars and open the schools. You got to open the schools. He's saying it. It's, it's not, it hasn't even lasted the test of the school year, where they are now retreating from those positions. They're saying, turns out, you might be the safest 
with the kids that are as opposed to the, the grocery store worker or someone that's around adults every day. And and so but even even before the school year started, we knew that kids are not the big I know, carriers. I know. We knew that kids don't really um they don't really suffer um bad forms of of the disease when they do get it. Yep. Um, that mortality is almost non-existent for for children. For most of us, and, it is, but particularly children. Right? Yeah, for particularly children. But we've sent them home, and uh, the mental health aspect. So one of the very very discouraging things was in that closed caucus for someone to ask, "What about mental health and suicide, depression?" And to have our our health department say, "Well, you know, we're really not." paying that much attention to it. We haven't seen it as a problem. Although the last couple of weeks we've seen a little bit of an uptick, so we're, we're going to start watching that, that now. Number. I think they know it. Absolutely I think, they know I think that they're number. not disclosing we, it, but this I, legislature I don't believe they do These health departments have lived on our suicide, attempted suicide, our, our 911 numbers, our Safe UT, and I, here's a plug real quick. If you do not have the Safe UT app on your phone, get it and put it on your children's phones. Um we are living under that data. 16 years as a lawmaker interfacing with the Department of Health, I know they know that. They know the deaths that have occurred because of this. I, they have it. It's the non-COVID-related deaths, but COVID-related in that they, the isolation, the, the, the depression, the, all the things that go on, and they know it. They, they, that's, a, that's something they're, that they're watching and that they know, but they're not willing to disclose it. Why? Because it would be pretty uh, damning in terms of the decisions that we're making. Look, I, I, it, it, there's one, something that's going on right now that if you have this debate that we're, and you're, or you're even discussing it like we are, mm. that somehow we're callous to the human condition, that somehow we're okay with anyone uh, getting sick or, or dying, and we're not. Absolutely. It's just how do we, how do we reasonably uh, take precautions and not burn down the village to save the village? How do right. you do that? And, it's, and so it's, you know... I'm telling you that I put my faith in the people. That's that's kind of the gig, okay? In the mm-hmm. former government we have, we put our faith in the people and we've not seen it uh, to this extent. But No, and like I say, I mean, I trust 104 of us to make a better decision than than one man with 27 advisors. And um and I, I may have not always agreed with what the 104 of us come up with, but that is the process. And and I know that by that time by the time we have things go through a committee, things debated in, on floors yep. of two chambers, that the information is out there, the perspectives of the 40,000 yep. people that I represent times 104 people, uh, that we are going to have the most information, the most information. And I trust 104 people with the most information input from 3 million people of this state to, to come up with... The, the best solution that we know how to do in government over one person yeah, just, and some advisors. So take the issue out and just say, should we have one supreme leader who makes all those decisions, or would you want a process uh, that entail branches of, you know, bodies, you know, legislative branch and the, ex- and the executive branch, and, and within that legislative branch, a House and a Senate, would that be more, would you find common ground, would good information drive good decisions, or would just one sole leader do that. I, I, I think if you just asked it in the most basic ways without attaching the topic or the issue, I don't know who, at least that's in America, would say, I want one person to decide everything. They wouldn't. So why would we Why would we not use that process in such critical times that we're in right now 
and have that legislative process. It's a, we have, we have doctors that are lawmakers. We have healthcare. We have people that, that run hospitals that are lawmakers. How can they not be part of what's been designed as the citizen legislature uh, Absolutely. to be part of that? Well, and um, you've got, you've got a situation where sometimes I, I've had people say, uh, you know, I actually like what the governor's doing. I like what the health department, I agree with that. No way do I trust the legislature. And sometimes that's a partisan mm-hmm. position. But I, I think people need to really explore that whole thing. If you really feel like that's the government mm-hmm. you would prefer, um, you might not always agree with the outcome of the legislature, but that process is better than any other government. Yep. And, and, and we, we had we had the saying, well, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Remember that? Right. And and finding common ground. I never called it compromise because compromise sounds like you're retreating from your beliefs or your principles. Right. And I'm and I'm not that person. But finding common ground, it's possible in public policy. It really is. And you can do it better than the status quo or what you're facing. Uh, and unilateral decisions without any accountability, and particularly who surrounds you and advises you when you're the only one making those decisions, that's... That has less chance of representing the sentiment of the people. Absolutely. And okay. that's why our legislature should have <laughs> this called This is our itself. little topic, and we went like a, <laughs> a long time on this. But I think it's pretty important. I mean, the times we're in are a little surreal, aren't they? And, and it really is why we should, as a legislature, have called ourselves in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those Put are no that's we, the, that's we the should the have. Tail around. You need, uh, in fact, you, didn't call, you, you haven't called yourselves in a special session. You had one time where you would not renew the governor's emergency order but then at midnight he, he just issued another one and it was like you know we weren't trying to save you ink toner in your printer to print out a new one right we were telling you we don't <laughs> no, concur stop. with it we don't no, want it any longer stop really so stop doing it at midnight <laughs> uh i thought was an affront to the legislative branch and absolutely you said you no longer wanted it and he waited till the deadline and just issued a brand new one and i think that was uh I, I thought it was bad. You know, absolutely, towards bad the form. legislature. And you know, if if anybody had the courage to also take it to court, I don't know where that would go. But um, but abs- absolutely, if for no other reason that the governor thumbed his nose and said, "I brave, I am brazen. going to completely disregard what you <laughs> just told me," and I went back and looked at the articles, and the articles written were you know had Speaker Wilson say specifically. The legislature has decided to end this emergency declaration and not give the governor renewed authority. And then he did it. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, so that tells us a, a lot what we need to yeah, do. Yeah, it's Okay, true. you ready to talk okay. about election fraud? Yes. Okay, so I, you know, we don't see each other for a long time because it's COVID. Nobody sees each other. Uh, but then I saw you in another state. Yes, I heard you were you were coming to join the party, the, the fraud uh, squad. Uh, we were the fraud squad, election fraud detection, and it was so fun. So, okay, tell us what your experience was. Okay, so I get there, and uh, the Trump campaign in this one of these critical states has, and the reason we're being a little bit veiled about it is that this is still being adjudicated, and right. we've been asked to not get drilled down into the details what, where, when, and how, because this is still going through that right. legal process. Um, so, But I look forward to when that's over to be very, very specific about this. But the bottom line is uh, the safeguards are transparency in vote by mails, particularly when you're sending it unsolicited uh, to, to voters' last known address. Uh, you end up having ballots that are, that are, that are unsecured. Uh, the safeguards aren't there. And so what happened in this critical state, the, the Trump campaign – 
looked and they flagged a number, a, a huge number of, of mail-in ballots that seemed suspect. So, so I'll say the list that we had was 40,000 in yeah. the circumstances that you and I uh, were yeah. running down. And you were playing point. I want your viewers to know that you were integral to this. I mean, I filled out an affidavit and you're like, okay, this is not a journal entry. you got to get a little more succinct here. I'm like trying to go on the back. And then I walked down the street. I said, and I'm like trying to write like a, like this really like, like novel or something. And you're like, no, 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 no. This is a legal Sorry. document. You just got to go boom, boom, boom. And I had to, so you were so important to this. You were like, you were really dialing it in and getting the critical information there. But, but the bottom line was this. 40,000 that were looked at very suspect, which is a number that exceeds the margin, the margin of victory of, of that victory. state. Uh, I, I spent two days looking to ask people that had, by record, had voted by mail what their experience was. It's a brand new uh, law. It was a law passed during the election cycle hastily mm-hmm. by the Democrats. But what was your experience? How was it? So the first thing you do when you do that is you ask for the person. Is this so-and-so? Yeah. They look at you, and if they don't know who you're talking about, you ask is the last name, is this the so-and-so residence? If they still have no idea what you're talking about, you tell them why you're there and that you're just trying to survey and understand it better and make sure that their, what their experience was. You'd like to, to get that down. And, and we have a little app that helped us record. This was genuine information we're looking right, to, right. to gather. And so I found a number of cases or situations or households where the name of the person that mailed in the ballot does not exist irrefutably at that address that that that's recorded it came from and, and i know that of those in utah that we where we did this i think we all had those experiences mm-hmm. without with to, without exception but there were others that i know where they're like oh they're not here and they but or that or the residence that you go to is abandoned it doesn't look like anyone's been there forever but that's not very as verifiable i met i met some people that were who they said they were uh, they they did vote by mail and but I think it would shock people to know how infrequently that actually happened as I was looking at the you I know, think going I had, to those names. I had two houses that I went to that said um, the person's not here, but and we're quickly shutting the door on me. So I didn't know if they're not here means they're at work or they're not here. But every house I went to. They, it, it was, it was voter fraud. It was yeah. a, a non-existent I, resident. I met home. in two days. I met three people that were who they said they were. In fact, one, it was a husband and wife, and the and his was all correct, but his wife's wasn't, and at all, and that it was completely inconsistent. And so, when so we you, had hundreds. Yeah. We ended up with hundreds. So when you experience, when you, go, so I don't need to take it. I don't need to watch the talking heads on at night tell me what's fraud and what's not. I've had my own experience now doing that. And what I have come to realize as a former lawmaker is that we fundamentally, even in the state of Utah, do not have the safeguards necessary. If you're asking people that vote in person to produce their state-issued ID and that, and you have a vote an election judge who cross-references your name and address with the voter roll, and then they ask you to sign before you vote, and then that, that ballot never leaves their custody, it, the chain of custody is never interrupted, versus the unsolicited mass mailing of ballots to people's last known addresses without any of that. It's just not strong enough of a process uh, for how important it is. And so it's, it's, it's something I'm not, I am against vote by mail at this point. I'm not against ballot access. I'd rather have more days of in-person voting. I think ballot access is absolutely critical. But Kim, I don't know how we lived through what we did 
and come away from that experience going vote by mail works because it's too open to fraud. It's too vulnerable for it. So you're um, a crazy now. Yeah, that's <laughs> you. Yeah. You are an election fraud uh, crazy and, and distinguishing the difference between um, election fraud and voter fraud. So what you and I saw was massive voter fraud, individuals committing, uh, committing fraud. Um, and then there's the other side of that. There's the elections fraud. Yes. And, um, and, and let me just restate that in uh, Utah, there's only one government that uses dominion, and that is Salt Lake County. That's our county that we live in. Yes. And that our elections officer actually re- rejected one and a half million dollars to upgrade her systems and and to change over to what everybody else had changed over and she said by golly she's going to hold on to this and through this election and so for those that will think that we're crazy um know this about the math and at the at that last week as they were still pick you know they're still counting votes the democrat elected county clerk sherry swenson who's been there for how long she's been there 40 years i mean she's been there forever the number on the monday that she said of total ballots left in Salt Lake County to count was 65,000. Mm-hmm. So what you're supposed to do when she says there's 65,000 left at the end of Monday, whatever report they give you on Tuesday of, of votes that they've done, you should be able to subtract the number of votes they counted oh, you're talking from the Matthews. number of votes from the like, number that were left. Okay, no, we're not supposed okay? to do election math. Number that was left, <laughs> and it gives you a number of how many left have still left to be uncounted. Kim, the number of 65,000. They were up to 85,000 votes by Friday with more to count. And it is math. It is what she reported. It is not an opinion, a theory, uh, a conspiracy. We're not supposed to do math. This is hardcore math. I know three journalists who absolutely know the math. It was pointed out to them. They were asking, at least off the record, the the clerk, what's going on here? I really think that what was we saw... Glenn Mills was was tracking these numbers. And he has a a story Mm -hmm. about a 16,000 vote glitch that after he started pressing about these questions, you get a glitch answer. So I would just say this. The math never added up. Suitcases under tables? I I don't know. (laughs) I will tell you. I don't know, but I honestly think that because of what we saw rolling out by way of a pattern in other states Mm -hmm. and where this voting equipment became, uh, we, I never, and look, I ran and you ran and our primary election, Republican was June 30th. I wouldn't have known Dominion from a character on a Star Trek uh, series. I, I wouldn't know what Dominion meant. We knew in, in we knew. November what this was. <laughs> we saw this and then all eyes started to look at our Salt Lake County elections clerk. Mm-hmm. If you remember back in 18, Ben McAdams won in that last final count, and it was just mm-hmm. enough to tip him over by 700 694 votes. Okay, <laughs> so if we know that, this time with all eyes, all the math being done, with the discussion happening nationally, but even within our state, I think one of the reasons you saw uh, Burgess win is I think the attention to those numbers had become so heavily scrutinized. It was said by a reporter... If Burgess hadn't won, I the, the world the person, of scrutiny the would person, have been on the The reporter doorsteps. said, "I don't know how she would have navigated all the discrepancies that were happening if Ben McAdams would have won." Okay, so, so you maybe said that's it. Why. You, you you said it now on yeah. my podcast. I know. I said. Um, it. I've only whispered this to a few people, but there there is. Uh, yeah, if it wasn't for Dominion going crazy and trending everywhere, and that scrutiny, uh, we might have had. So where do we yeah. go from here? You know what, Kim and I, you and I haven't spoken about this, but let me. I I would proffer 
that to ensure that our system is safe and that it, it is not subject to fraud, there ought to be a random sampling of those that voted by mail. The, the exercise we went through in that respective state, people ought to contact those that voted and see if it, it was. I'd like to know the rejection rate. See, what happens is we'll talk a lot about, well, we have this software that analyzes your signature compared to the signature that you gave when you you registered to vote. And I know that's true because my son was a first-time voter and his in the primary, his vote got rejected because the signature didn't match. And so they sent us a, an email and a letter and all those things. But in Pennsylvania, when that happened, they accepted Everything the signatures else. by a 30 times higher number with exponentially more ballots because they were mailing them out there, not just those that were requested. Right. Right. So they had more ballots, but they, they, they accepted, they rejected less signatures than they ever had before. I'd like to know the rejection rate in Utah of mm. what it's been historically as we as we use that that software in the past and in election cycles versus uh, now. I just want to I just would like to see some of the things we're seeing by way of pattern happening in other states. Let's bring comfort to voters in Utah by showing that those were not problems in our state by auditing those things or finding out what if you did, if you agree with the election you're not really asking for these things right. right. So if you're happy about the election results. And Republicans had a good election uh, in Utah. You don't ask those questions, but I think we should. That is I something, okay, that, and, and I have expressed this, okay, so big props to Clerk Gardner, um, Amelia, Utah County's yes. uh, Amelia Gardner. She is um, actually one that has indicated that uh, she was one of the early people that said, look at Dominion, Yeah. look at Dominion. So I don't know if she's the only one or the first one, but she was one that, you know, things started clicking in her mind and she said, go look at Dominion. Um, but the way she does things is, is you know, she came in two years ago. She cleaned voter rolls. Yeah. They consistently purge the rolls when people move. And and we know that that was not happening to um, a sufficient degree in, in Salt Lake County. But you're right, because Republicans won so many races, we flipped seats. Yes. We flipped, uh, we, uh, flipped county seats in Salt Lake County. That we're happy with the outcomes and really, we I have talked to Amelia about this. We need to look at all these races. We need to just, look in just, Salt Lake County. Just for quality control. And, Absolutely. And, and, and it shouldn't be about which side wins, which party wins. It For quality control, we should do this. I will tell you this. I like the decentralizing of elections by county clerks in America. I like that counties do it. I've heard some complaints about that, but I do like not having it centralized. I think it's mm -hmm. worse or could be more vulnerable to fraud. I like the decentralizing of it. I've met a lot of county commissioners and county leaders that have all the faith in the world in their county clerk. And, and if Amelia, you know, Amelia Powers, she's one of those shining examples. You can go to bed every night just and sleep like a baby knowing that she's watching because it's going to be straight up. But again, I don't know that these election processes ought to be based on respective parties that win that right. elections Absolutely. clerk Absolutely. or uh, the clerk, county clerk seat uh, or whose candidates win. I think we should, by way of process, be looking at the, the, our elections, particularly the vote-by-mail side. I've seen enough that I just think that perception-wise as well as in reality, voting in person, it, it's just that important. There's some things you got to show up for. When church attendance becomes by mail, then I'll rethink my position. But as long <laughs> as you got to go to church and get to get credit for going to church, you, you can go, go vote. You can. If we need more days to do it, make it more days. But I think there are some things in life worth showing up for and... I think the way this has pl played out nationally, uh, it's made the case for that. Okay. Yeah. There, I, I read uh, somebody made a comment about submitting drug tests by mail. You trust those, right? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, drug test drug by drug mail. Test. There's not a whole lot of things that by mail we're going to be okay with. Um, <laughs> how we elect, how a, a, you know, a democratically elected republic elects has got to be rock solid. And I think we've seen enough. By, I, I think we, we, somewhere along the way, we, we misunderstood or we mistook convenience for access. We need, we need to make sure access to the ballot is there for everybody. Convenience to the ballot is a completely different discussion. And I don't know that we're obligated to make everything more convenient. I do think we are, and when I say we, our government leaders, and I think as citizenry, we should demand and expect access to the ballot. So but that's that 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 is not always necessity or convenience. It's not that doesn't mean convenience. So some of the ideas itself. right now are yeah. to go to mobile devices. That we do everything on this now. I mean, we Venmo, we bank. Uh, we do all kinds of things on here, and there is a level of security to that. So I, I, I know even Amelia is looking at. Um, yeah, I hate it. I'm too old for that. Yeah, Kim. I can't okay, do it that yeah. way. It, that could be hacked. You, you know what the difference? Read paper you know the difference too. about my bank account and a United States Senate seat is? Do you know the difference in the motivation of hacking that process versus my bank account? I can bank all day. Then no one's going to look for account. that. Uh, okay. They're going to look for the, we, the fraud. They're going to look to, like... to turn the, the Senate seat over. I, That's right. It's not the same. My my, it's I. Well, I'm not there yet. I'm, I like I, paper I'm, ballots. I want to go old school here. I I don't know why this. Was, you can trace it back to the 2000 Bush v. Gore when they gave us all those fed, all that federal money the for chats Yeah, and... all those people, all that election clear. All they had to do was empty out the the years worth of chads that had accumulated in those plastic, <laughs> uh, you know, things that held the ballots, but. They, the feds gave us money for electronic voting machines, and then Diebold was the company that built them, and they went out of business. And the cost of replacing them was too high. And vote by mail was a fiscally, it, it, it was a fiscal answer. It was cheaper. It was less expensive. You could do it. And there was a lot of other talk about convenience and all of that. But some of that was a fiscal decision, uh, a, a budgetary decision. And I think we've lost our way with that. I think it's gotten to a point now. When I when I was elected in two thousand two. Uh, it was a primary in June. I didn't have a Democrat opponent. I knew I knew by the ten o'clock news that I had won. Think about that. I knew by and it was a close race. But you, I had someone that was watching the boxes of the paper ballots come. They saw the the tag that was on the box. They watched them go through the counter. They knew when we went to vote by mail. The same counter for me went to the county to watch. And he's like, "There's nothing to watch. There's no ballots. There's these are just chips. There's there's nothing to see." To see it happen, and I just think the physical part of voting, I, 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 I like it. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just old school that way. Well, I go and vote on day of, so, so do I. I, I mean, I feel like there's something about that that I, I want to cast my vote on election day, in person, show up. Um, so let me ask you this: um, Texas filed a lawsuit today against the four states that are a mess. Yes. Okay, what I do you think Texas. about that? First, <laughs> I love Texas, okay? I mean, they yeah. are just, they are rock-ribbed, you know, conservative, constitutionally-based uh, leaders and Remember lawmakers. Remember the Alamo? Yes, man, I'm telling you. I just love that they had the political courage to do that. Um, and I got some communications. They people say, hey, will Utah sign on? I think they would have. I think I, these these uh. have been opportunities that have been available to respective states up until now. 
Um, Texas, again, when you have a state that leads out, it shows it, it creates some cover. I would love to see Utah. Okay, well, let me suit. ask you: Did you reach out to anybody today and say, "Hey, we should jump onto this"? I I did not. I wasn't optimistic enough that it would bear fruit. So I okay, did well, not. I did. You did. I and? did. I I reached out to the attorney general's office and said we need to be in on this. Uh, it was earlier in the day, and so yeah. they just uh, hadn't had time to really go through the case. Uh, now they have, so I need to call them back. But um, I would love to be wrong on this. I want to be wrong on. Uh, I don't like to be a cynic, and I don't want to be a cynic. So I hope I'm wrong, and I hope that Utah would join that. Why should with we, other states? Why should Utah join? We're impacted by it. I, look, the the way those those elections and these elections that have been scrutinized and the and the I I'm telling you there is no lack of evidence uh, that there is there's something wrong. That that minimally rises to the level of, of judicial scrutiny, not just dismiss without looking at it, which is what's happening in the lower courts. Um, I, I believe it's the case that when George W. Bush was in that battle uh, in Florida in 2000, he was losing all the cases up till they went. They had two different Supreme Court hearings and the Bush campaign was losing those all the way till they got to the Supreme Court. So I've always thought that all roads lead to the Supreme Court in mm-hmm. this issue. I think we're it impacts all of our lives. We all are impacted by uh, wanting our vote to count and our state's votes to count. And they don't count if there was fraud to the point where it it changed the outcome or the will of the people cannot be discerned because the process was so uh, convoluted or it, <laughs> put it this way. In the very county which we were doing our work, when I got home back to Utah, that particular area that we were in had a county race, a county uh, elected race that was only decided by 10 votes. And given the amount of votes in question, they threw that they're they throwing out that November third election and they're going to have a special election because the November election in this state and its largest county was not dependable enough with the mail-in votes that they are going to have a new vote for that county election. So how do we not... Draw the same conclusion exactly. about that. So if that's the case for that county seat, how is it not the case when you see that type of fraud in, in these elections in these respective states? And if someone says no one's ever shown any evidence, I, I, I don't believe that that's the case. But if someone thinks it, I, I honestly think that each of these need to at least be decided by the Supreme Court. Look, if the Supreme Court takes all the information, even if I disagree with what they say, I will at least know that there was some adjudication to what's happened and bet your life this if the shoe was on the other foot if president trump was sitting here with the lead but with videos of you know ballots under tables and tablecloths no one had seen till after they asked the observers to leave and then they came out if you had if you had mail-in votes that that you know you have 91 percent turnout in milwaukee wisconsin 91 percent where they've never seen it in australia where it's against the law not to vote their turnout's 93 percent you're telling me 91 percent in this urban area that's not uh, reflected any in any other city um or that in other urban cities you you're see doing math again now i know for but what i'm saying is there is enough that you should adjudicate it and find it and if it was uh, she was on the other foot i absolutely promise you not only would the democrats be all in to have these anomalies and these irregularities adjudicated, because they would, you would have a media prompting it. Because remember, they said that Russian bots were tricking us on Facebook in 2016 to vote for Trump, and that he was an illegitimate president. And they carried that that conspiracy theory into three years of an investigation. Right. 
This isn't any of that. This is actual math, and this is these are this is these are affidavits. These are you know under under penalty of law if you perjure yourself and you're willing to come forward. We have whistleblowers in all these states, young kids that are like, I'm not even a Republican. I'm just I'm telling you what I saw, and none of that matters. But it would matter if it was the Democrats feeling they lost an election due to these same exact circumstances. You would have a you would have a conventional wisdom that supported adjudicating it, and you would have a media that would just be praising it and it's sad that we live in the, in such a double standard of a of a world right now so let me ask you one last question because i think we're probably coming up on a pretty long time here i, I could talk to you all i could do all, this yeah, forever hours. we could make this a marathon <laughs> like a jerry lewis marathon <laughs> um okay you kind of like donald trump i sure do yep and so uh you were the First, earliest, strongest out back in the 2016 election. You were yes. not ashamed. You were not soft. You That's just not went to say right I didn't out. take some beatings for no, it. No, you did, but you went right <laughs> out on that limb. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I just, I totally respected that. And um, and, and Donald Trump was 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 my pick, too. And, well, I, I did, like, cruise in the primary, but, I mean, instantly, yeah. yep. you know, I, I didn't hesitate a bit to, to uh, support Donald Trump. I um, still support him. But so we're crazy now because we believe in, in, in this. We talked this about some heavy stuff happening. today. It, 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 but we're, we're cra- we, uh, things just got real. We are, are super crazy. Um, so um, forgot what I was going to ask you. Have you talked to Donald Trump Jr.? We texted. We texted after the election. I told him that um, I wanted to help. I, 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 I've developed a nice friendship with, with Donald Trump Jr. And, and knowing how busy he is. And how bad I am at returning texts and communicating, and I'm just this little guy in the world. It's amazing that he has the bandwidth to, to you know stay in touch with someone that's. I was Speaker of the House at one point. I'm not I'm nobody now, but yet he still stays in touch. I can tell you, I did get invited to the Christmas reception yeah, last week. Okay. I went back there. That administration. I'm just going to tell you right now, to a person, this Donald Trump will return to that Oval Office. It's a question of is it now or is it in 2024? But they believe. That that he rightfully won this election, but if he doesn't, if it's if it doesn't happen, that his voice he's not disappearing. He is not going to leave Biden to be president and unaccountable for the things he would roll back. That this president's worked very hard in the last four years you to know, do for, me, for the campus people. free speech. That was a big thing that yes. I was focused on. Um, our tax reforms, all all kinds Ab- of things. Absolutely, and there were things that even our where uh, Clinton and Obama had made these. Uh, these national monuments that, that encumbered people's communities and land where they live in rural communities and no one listens to them. There's not enough of them. And President Trump came and reduced both the Staircase Escalante and the Bears Ears National Monuments. If Biden wants to reverse that, and and which was helping those those small those small communities in rural Utah, I believe this president is not going away and he is going to bring national attention to the things that Biden will look to unwind. Or would look to unwind. So he's he's on a pathway, and that administration believes that he does not leave this public space. So if you hate Trump and you're praying Biden's going to win because you're going to be done with Trump, yeah, guess no. what? No, no, he comes. <laughs> he's he comes not a little going bit anywhere. Of a, of a martyr symbolic thing. But so final question, because you have been a Republican leader, you have have been one of our top uh, Republican leaders in our state. So I am in the Twitter Twitter sphere where people are complaining, where are the Republican leaders on this voter fraud thing? Yeah. Um, where are they? 
You know, empathy is a powerful teacher, Kim. If this was happening to our leaders, if they were losing elections in ways that are hard to describe and seeing numbers that are hard to reconcile, bet your life they'd be leaning in pretty hard. I think we have to have more. I think good leadership requires greater empathy. I really do. That's not trite. I mean it. I think that life has to be a two-way street. You have to give as good as you get. That's why I say you audit uh, even an election you like, the outcome. You just audit, audit it. That's should audit be it because inherent it's, in the it's process. It's the policy. It's not you won or lost and that changes the rules or it's selective outrage or selective logic. You've got to have that. So what I would say is why we're not seeing it is people like what's happening around them and why, why, why tip the... You know, why, why shake the boat if, if you think, if you're okay with what, what's happening maybe in your sphere or in your state, I don't think we can afford to do that right now in the times that we're in. I just think it's, it will, here's the other thing too, it's, it's a topic for another podcast if you ever have me back. The Democrat party is imploding, but the people don't know it. Mm-hmm. I have, I had this crazy unique vision, uh, seen into it. It's because my son is serving in Brooklyn, New York, New York right now. And I'm a oh, news wow. junkie. So I <laughs> wow. read this weekly Brooklyner. It's called the Brooklyner, the progressives and the rest of what's been like middle of like the working people that thought they were Democrats. They are at each other's throats right now. That party is one of the largest County parties in America. And it is in Brooklyn. New York. It is imploding and it is demonstrative of what's happening to the Democratic party across this country. So I will tell you that Republicans have to get their act straight because we are the party of the everyday people of this country. We are a melting pot. We are not here to divide based on identity. We are we are truly the, we love public safety. Mm-hmm. We have to embrace these things and we have to do it because the other party is giving us a gift, even if we don't feel it because we're so wrapped around the axle. Definitely on the an opportunity. Campaign. I mean, oh. one of the best. So where are the Republican leaders? They better be looking what's going on around us and seeing that we are the party of the everyday people, and we got to lead that charge. So um, I want to add to what you said about um, we need more empathy. Um, you have a, a unique story. Uh, you're Speaker of the House, very powerful um, authority position, influential position. Um, but I think a, a lot of the people that will watch this know where you came from. And I think that's um, that's where you had a lot of empathy. Yeah. But I I would add to that courage, because I I feel like we are so uh, bankrupt of courage these days when yeah. we've never needed it more. And I think uh, what we could do between empathy, compassion, and courage, yep. and that's what we should have inherent. In, in our party, in our leaders, and it's the miracle of a, of and I'm going back. I know I'm a little bit of a homer for the legislative branch. I know, but it's the miracle of this form of government because of this. That empathy is derived from a a vast and diverse group of lawmakers that come together: 104, 75 in the House, mm-hmm. 29 in the Senate. There is so much different perspective shared by the different people. When we, you know, we it's the most unique human experience we've ever had. Right. At, at least for me, it has been right. And here's what I learned on the downside of, of legislative service is I thought I was quite the pinata with all the issues we would take on. I had no name ID when I ran for governor. Okay. I was at 3%. I had on a cloaking device, Kim. It was like I was invisible. I thought everybody heard the worst things about me and it was all bad. And then I get out there to run and I'm thinking, well, maybe I have to change some minds, but I got some name ID, right? No. No. Okay. No. So it turns out that if you're in the legislature and you think everyone's going to hate you, they don't know you to hate you. You can 
Vote your conscience. You can lean in and you're going to be okay. And when the districts are smaller where you, your communities matter and you can really communicate effectively, you don't have to worry about the TV commercials and everything else. The legislative branch is built it's number and it's strength in numbers. It's a strength in numbers. It, it 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 creates that empathy. It creates it should create that courage. So anyway, yeah. here's fingers crossed, right? There's never been a time that we've needed to have more of that though. We so. do. We do. Well, thank you. Well, for, thanks for, for having me. On. I love and this. I would love to have you back. So Let's have it. We uh, anytime do this you forever, want to come right? back. Love it. Uh, we gotta thank our producer, Doran. Doran, this is great. I love the brick, the lights. It's all beautiful here. It looks so good. It's just really, it's a million bucks. It's a great Just for you. Just for you, Greg. (laughs) All right. Do you have anything for us, Doran? Not really. I already told you about the drug test by mail thing. That's that's all I really got to the table today. (laughs) It it, it, it strikes to the heart of it all, though. It's great. It's a great analogy. Well, thank you so much hey, again, Speaker Hughes. You. Now, uh, thank you for joining the Candidly Kim podcast. Uh, you can find us on, we're on iTunes, we're on Podbean. We are on, uh, help me out, we're on YouTube. Rumble. Rumble. Nice. Rumble's so the new one. That's the one growing. We're, we're on all of this. Also, just find us in social media. We'd love to interact with you, find out what you're thinking about and, uh, you know, for upcoming shows and what, what uh, you'd like us to talk about. Uh, if you like what you hear, give us a like, a follow, and a share. And uh, please join us. Uh, we do these about twice a week or so. And uh, we'd love your, your follow. Thanks so much and have a good night.